Hey, hey, how's everybody doing? Hope you're having a fantastic Friday morning. <clears throat> so there's something I'm telling you guys. There's something about this, this section that we're reading in St. Thomas's commentary on the Ten Commandments. They don't want you to hear about it. I'm telling you. I've had <laughs> I've had the most difficult time trying to actually get to this section because I had my thing come up two weeks ago and then I was super busy with finals and stuff that I wasn't able to, you know, uh, have the meeting, record the video and whatever. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll just, I'll just record it later. That didn't work. Sch uh, scheduled it for this Thursday. Something came up, so that didn't work. And then I, I got up this morning and, you know, made my coffee and everything. And I have my coffee and I'm, I'm literally just about to like click the, like, the submit thing to where I could get to this screen. Um, so I could go live. And I dropped my coffee, like coffee cup shatters everywhere. No coffee this morning. So I'm telling you, they, they don't want you to know about this chapter. They don't want you to know about it. So you guys better be better be paying attention. The whole I just I just saw uh, as I was as I was going on YouTube to, you know, check check the whatever I write for the description from last time. And uh, I saw. Uh, Michael Lofton had an interview with somebody and it was like, um, watch this video before they take it down. No, no, this, this video right here, St. Thomas's commentary on the 10 commandments. Number two, this is the real watch this video before they take it down. I'm telling you, I got, I got feds who are trying to, uh, trying to stop this video from getting down. I'm telling you. So you guys, you guys, you guys better pay attention. You guys are in for a treat this morning. Uh, this is, this is about to be the, the best video you ever watched and that's actually real though because today we're going to be going through chapters three through six of book one in his commentary on the ten commandments and what is what is books what, what is chapters three through six on well you should know already because if you're watching this you should already read it but if not it's okay you can you can read it afterwards uh, because this is mostly me summarizing and kind of pointing out difficult passages and reminding you of things and drawing conclusions and stuff like that. But what we're talking about today is we're finishing off the law of charity. Because if you remember, uh, there's kind of two stages to the law of God, the moral law. The first stage is going to be basically, um, it's the first stage is, is the old law, uh, the Mosaic law, which uh, puts demands on people, but does not give grace. And then the second stage is going to be the law of Christ, which gives grace. And with each of these stages, there's there's a separate uh, set of commandments, I guess you could say, that are placed upon believers. Now, in the in the New Testament, we also have something special called the councils, which we're going to get into briefly here. But we're going to get into in a lot of detail when we get into on the perfection of the spiritual life. Um, so. What, what, we're, what we're getting at here is in the New Covenant, you have this simplification that happens. During the Old Covenant, uh, you have really um, 613 commandments, and then you have, you have the 10 big commandments, you know. And the New Covenant, they're summed up in love of God and love of neighbor. And basically, all moral theology does is it takes love of God and love of neighbor and explains those two. That's all it does. Uh, in, in all of its uh, particular applications. That, that's all we're striving to do. So, uh, yeah, exactly. Demons demons are seething right now. Uh, that, that's 
So that's exactly what's been happening. Okay. So um, before we continue, uh, we need to pray. But uh, before we pray, as a reminder, this is uh, New Aquinas Academy, completely and utterly free. Uh, there should be a link below if you want to join the Discord in the Discord. Um, people actually don't really uh, ask questions much, but if you wanted to, I'm in there and you can ask questions about the readings. Uh, I've answered questions about the readings before, and usually I like to, when it comes to question answering, focus on the new Aquinas Academy and then um, my personal Discord uh, that I have for with uh, with patrons, although I've been really busy right, lately, so I haven't been able to do that. So uh, link below for the Discord if you want to if you want to join that, ask all your questions and stuff. There should be people in there uh, to have a good discussion. I usually keep it free from people asking random questions or wanting to debate or whatever. Um, so it's a pretty neutral place like that uh, that you won't have to like as soon as you join, shut your notifications off. So there's that link. Then there's also the link to the Patreon. Uh, because, as I said, this is absolutely free. Anybody in the entire world who wants to join the Discord, they, they can. Um, so this is just completely, uh, like, not, uh, no, no sort of barrier of entrance to anybody. Uh, so if you want to help facilitate things like this, I actually, uh, if, if people, are, people are willing, uh, I would like to eventually do more uh, classes on different things. So uh, this is really just introducing uh, St. Thomas through his easy works. But uh, in order to facilitate that, if you become a patron, uh, there's a Patreon just for New Aquinas Academy. Um, so that the link is down there uh, in the description below. So let's, uh, let's pray and then let's get started. This is from Studiorum Ducem. Uh, there it is. This is St. Thomas's prayer before study. <clears throat> In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Ineffable Creator, who out of the treasures of thy wisdom hast appointed the hierarchies of angels, and, and set them in admirable order high above the heavens, and hast disposed the diverse portions of the universe in such marvelous array, thou who art called the true source of light and supereminent principle of wisdom, be pleased to cast a beam of thy radiance upon the darkness of my mind and dispel from me the double darkness and sin of sin and ignorance in which I have been born. Thou who makest eloquent the tongues of little children, fashion my words and pour upon my lips the grace of thy benediction. Grant me penetration to understand, capacity to retain, method and facility in study, subtlety and in interpretation, and abundant grace of expression. Order the beginning, direct the progress, and perfect the achievement of my work. Thou who art true God and man, and liveth and reigneth forever and ever. Amen. St. Thomas Aquinas, pray for us. Okay, let's uh, get right into it. So what we're going to be talking about here, uh, I kind of I kind of saved this chapter three. I don't know why I didn't just read chapter three last time, uh, but I guess it's kind of cool because this is really important. So chapter three uh, is going to be uh, on how charity is acquired and retained. And then specifically in four through six, we're going to be talking about love of God and love of neighbor and what that uh, looks like. But for now, we're going to just be talking about um, charity as a virtue in chapter three, although we're going to get through chapter six uh, today. So um, in this chapter, uh, he's really just talking about uh, 
how like practical uh, because he's in the first two chapters, he's already told, told us why charity is so great. So now he's going to be telling us uh, how, how do you get charity? And he has a, he has a fun answer. He has a fun answer. He's like, Oh, how, how can, how can you get charity? How do you do it? And he says, we must realize that no one can possess charity on his own, but it is the gift of God alone. That is, he does not love us because we first loved him, but the fact that we love him is brought about by his love. So when it comes to the virtue of charity, what is charity? Charity is going to be the ordering of the will towards a certain good. So we love something because our will is ordered towards that good. So loving God, that's what charity is, loving God and then loving uh, all things for the sake of God. That's going to be our wills ordered to God under the aspect of his divinity. Now, having our wills ordered to God under the aspect of our divinity, that means it's something which is de facto supernatural. Since uh, habits are specified by their formal objects. So charity is going to be something essentially supernatural. And because charity is something essentially supernatural, it's not something we can somehow elicit from our from our natures without divine help. So whereas we could like we could love God in a natural way, um, that's not loving him uh, under the intimate aspect of his deity, but loving him as he is um, the cause and source of all things. Uh, that's something that we can uh, know naturally. Sure, we can love God in that way. But we can't love God with supernatural charity by uh, something that we can elicit out of our own powers. So uh, what is kind of it's um it's kind of funny uh, how charity is acquired. And he's like, you can't acquire it <laughs> because really um, there there's a difference between what are called acquired and um, and infused virtues. And charity isn't an acquired virtue. It's an infused virtue. It's not something that you can you can get of yourself. Okay, so um, and then he clarifies a little bit because at this point you're you're probably like, oh, okay, great, thanks, thanks, Saint Thomas. Uh, th at this point, there's nothing I can do. I can just like sit here and, and you know twiddle my thumbs until I get a lightning strike of charity. Is that what I'm supposed to do? No, because actually we can. Uh, while we can't elicit charity from ourselves by our own powers, we can uh, dispose ourselves. We can dispose ourselves. What, is, what does it mean to dispose oneself? So I, I think a good analogy uh, for this would be like if you had, um, you, you know, you know, one of those like sieves uh, where it's like a strainer type thing when, when you put like sand or water in it, it goes through and whatever. So with, with, uh, with a sieve, in order to hold something, uh, rather than have it go through, let's let's say you're stuck, like desert island type situation, and for some reason you need like a bowl. Um, let, let's say you found a way how to boil salt water to where the salt remains, and you get like a little tube to where like the the steam goes out, and you get the tube long enough to where you can actually get fresh water out of salt water. And you're uh, you're very bright here, but you only have a sieve, and you don't know what to do with the sieve because every time you put water in, it just goes through, so it's kind of useless. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of useless. So uh, while you can't, like, the sieve itself can't just, like, magically hold water. It can dispose itself towards holding water, but the water is going to have to come from some other place. So you can, like, I don't know, somehow, like, 
pack mud in a certain way and, and harden it to, to a certain way in which it would hold water. But just because you've covered all of the holes of the sieve does not mean that the sieve itself is going to like elicit water. You, have, you still have to go to like the ocean and grab water and put it in the sieve. So we can uh, in ourselves dispose ourselves towards the reception of charity um, by sort of covering up the holes of the sieve. But we can't uh, elicit charity um, ourselves. That's impossible. So uh, he uses the language of to acquire charity, but you need to remember um, that charity isn't an acquired virtue. It's, uh, it's an infused virtue. So he's speaking, he's speaking catechetically here. So he's trying to, uh, he's using common language, but uh, technically speaking, we don't acquire charity. So uh, he's going to have two requisites for acquiring charity and then two for increasing charity. So the first one, to acquire charity, it is necessary to listen attentively to the divine word. And this is clear from human experience. So the first thing that we're going to need to do is we're going to need to learn about God. That's how we're going to love him. We're going to need to learn about him. So we can dispose ourselves to the reception of charity by meditating on sacred scripture by reading uh, the works of the saints. Those those are the type of things that are going to going to uh, really going to mass, I guess. Reading the Psalms is another important one. That's that's uh that that's how we are going to um listen to to uh to be able to love uh, God. And the second, uh, this is really important, is going to con- uh, is continual thinking about good things. Continual thinking about good things. So by this, uh, we recognize that perverse thoughts separate one from God. We don't only, we need to make sure we don't only regulate our exterior content, uh, exterior uh, behavior. That's not what we do. We're, uh, we're not uh, Jews. We don't just uh, think it's okay to, uh, like Dennis Prager style. Uh, If any of you have seen that that video where Dennis Prager's like, well, it's actually like okay to lust after women, like as long as you don't uh, commit adultery with her. So it's not that bad of a thing. Like, no, we we don't we don't actually believe that. Like, no, that's not what that's not what Catholics believe. What we believe is that uh, virtue is going to start uh, in the in the mind. Virtue is going to start in the soul. And then our bodily actions. The regulation of our bodily actions is going to be something which is going to flow from that. So first and foremost, we need to think well. We need to continually think about good things. That's that's first. And then from that, from the avoidance of bad thoughts, then we're going to um, we're going to act well. So that's uh, that's the second. And then if you already have charity you're already in the in in uh the faith and by the faith broadly speaking i'm saying you're already you're already a catholic who hasn't destroyed charity by any uh, mortal sins so you already have charity you're not in mortal sin uh what what do you what do you do how, how do you daily day by day besides uh what we already talked about how do you increase charity and this is uh this is going to be 
I, I think one of the most important uh, things to recognize here. So I'm going to read the whole the whole paragraph actually, because I think a lot of people think like, oh, we we did this in the old days. We kind of did this back in. Uh, you have the weird monks who did this thing like back in back in the old days, but now we have theology of the body, which uh, it's kind of ironic since Saint John Paul II was like huge on this. But uh, now we have theology of the body, so we, we don't have to, like, we, we know we don't have to deny ourselves or, like, you know, be separated from earthly things. That's that's Gnostic, guys. Like, the, we, we used to do that. We don't do that anymore. No, 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 no. This is, we, we do and believe the same thing. We believe this. So, um, St. Thomas says, the first, so the first way to increase charity one already has is the heart's separation from earthly things. For the heart cannot be perfectly directed towards disparate things. So no one can love God and the world. Therefore, the more our heart is removed from the love of the earthly things, the more it is settled in divine love, as Augustine says. And this is the reason religious orders were instituted, so that in and through them the human heart can be lifted, can be drawn away from earthly and corruptible things and lifted up to divine things. This is signified in the book of Maccabees where it is said, the sun shone, which previously had been under a cloud. The sun that is the human intellect is under a cloud when it is fastened on earthly things, but it shines out when it is removed and takes away from love of earthly things. Then it shines and then divine love grows in it. So how how do we, like, yeah, this is great, heart separation from earthly thing, things, blah, blah, blah. How, how do we concretely separate ourselves from earthly things? Well, there's three ways. Poverty, chastity, and obedience. Poverty, chastity, obedience. Because poverty is going to separate us from material, I guess you could say material uh, things, desiring them. Chastity is going to separate ourselves from our flesh. And then obedience is going to separate ourselves even from our own will. So poverty, chastity, and obedience. Now, when it comes to the actual practice, of these things when it comes to like actually never um, entering into marriage or never owning anything or, or um, putting oneself under obedience to a superior when it comes to the actual practice of these things, it only happens for, for the monks. Um, it only happens for those who uh, practice them in a religious setting. Although technically uh, you don't uh, need to be a religious to practice these one, I guess could just separate them. On, uh, one could practice them on their own. But when it comes to those in the married state, let's say you're called the marriage, obviously you're not going to uh, practice poverty, chastity, and obedience. Because one, well, unless I guess if you're if you're the wife in the married state, then you will, in a certain sense, be practicing obedience. But the husband, he's head of the house, so he's not practicing uh, obedience in that way. He's um, obviously going to be uh, rendering the marital debt. And he's going to be um, engaging in relations for the production of, uh, of children. And he's going to be owning things because, you know, you got to pay for your kids. So how, how exactly does, does a layman in the married state practice poverty, chastity, and obedience? Well, we distinguish. So I said before, note, I said actual practice, actual practice when it comes to the, um, when it comes to the, Religious. I said they actually practice it. Well, there's there's a second way in which you can practice something. And this is habitually practice it. You can habitually practice it. This is actually, this comes through very clearly 
in in the uh, in irony of ironies, this comes through very clearly in Vatican II. Vatican II talks about the priests as, and it also calls about the talks about the universal called of holiness and lumen gentium, but it talks talks about the priests as these sort of um, images and examples of the resignation from earthly things to which the laymen are supposed to practice them. Practice them habitually. That's very important. Practice them habitually. So you are going to become, uh, you're going to practice these things as like a, uh, not, not that it's evil, but as a necessary evil, that sort of idea, is you do them because you have to, but you're not going to set your heart on those things. So, uh, and I think this is actually relatively easy to discern. Um, for example, when it comes to poverty, uh, somebody you, you're gonna you're gonna have the money you have to to uh, feed your kids, to uh, to you know have a house, to uh, put them through school, whatever. But being a multimillionaire, you're obviously not uh, habitually practicing the uh, <laughs> the counsel of poverty. And you can think likewise when it comes to chastity and obedience. Um, this is it. At first, people are like, oh, well, how do I know this and how do I know that? And it's it's kind of easy just to do a, a self-examination and find out. Um, so, yeah, separating yourself uh, from earthly things. And then the second factor is going to be firm patience in adversity. And this is the hard one. This is the hard one. When uh, when you try to start your YouTube stream and you spill an entire thing of coffee, you need to have firm patience in, uh, in, in that distress that you have. But I mean, you, you guys know, you guys know, being able to put yourself under control, even when things are difficult, that's going to be the second way, because you know, that, that further detaches you actually from earthly things because not, um, not having firm patience in those situations means that you have some inordinate attachments that you need to uh, deal with. Okay, so on love of God. And now that now that we've, I, I think chapter three was was the most important for sure. Um, but yeah, chapter three was definitely the most important for sure. Uh, so the rest, I'm going to kind of go through this quickly. So. When it comes to love of God, there's going to be four things required uh, to fulfill uh, love of God. So first is going to be the recollection of the divine benefits. So always what is important is important, important, important is thanksgiving. Always in uh, and, and this is this is actually going to be mirrored. Oh, it's important, I think, and a good use of this section is to get this section and I guess write a little summary. Like, I don't know, you can put it on a sticky note. And in mental prayer, in mental prayer, consider these things. So the first is going to be recollection of divine benefits. So consider those good things that God has done for you and render unto him thanksgiving uh, for that. The second is a consideration of the divine excellence. So you can contemplate uh, the, the excellence of God. Uh, you, don't need, you don't need to be um, St. Thomas Aquinas to, to ask what is God and to contemplate the greatness of his, of his attributes. Uh, you can do, you can do that. That's going to be, uh, broadly speaking, we can call that adoration. So the third is going to be the renunciation of, wor uh, of worldly and earthly things. 
So we already we already talked about this. Uh, we already talked about this earlier, but how 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 would this look in prayer? So in prayer, uh, you're going to have certain promises, I guess, promises or resolutions that you're going to um, give to God, and then throughout your day, uh, practice those resolutions. So some of those resolutions uh, is flowing from a consideration of the divine excellence. You resolve to renounce and become detached. Uh, from these uh, worldly and earthly things that you may have inordinate attachments to. And the fourth is the complete avoidance of sin. So how, how is this going to look like in your in your prayer? So this is going to look like in your prayer, you're going to examine your, your, uh, your sinfulness before the holiness of God, and then you're going to confess your sins um, to God, uh, because even though we have, uh, the sacrament of penance, we still do, we still do confess our sins to God. I hope you guys know that. <laughs> if you guys don't know that, I'm, I'm very sorry that your RCIA director failed you. Um, we, yeah, we, you still need to, um, confess your sins before God. That's actually good practice in order to, uh, form, uh, a deeper contrition. Uh, there's, there's nothing like contemplating your sins before a crucifix. It's a, it's a fantastic, uh, practice to do so uh then he uh so those are like the four types to, to keep in mind when when it comes to prayer actually i, I think those uh, it's really good for that use so there's going to be uh two types of sin that he's going to um go into two kinds of people sin those who by avoiding one kind of sin such as luxury or something else fall into another uh, but they are still condemned and there are those who confess some sins and others not, or they split the confession between two or more confessors, which I, I didn't know people did this. If, if any of you are doing this, splitting your sin, your confessions between two or more confessors, please, please stop. I, I've never, I've never heard of that, this, but this is specifically um, in terms of the fourth, the avoidance of sin. So some try to uh, excuse their sin by falling into other sins. And then, um, and then some try to uh, try to go to two or more confessors. I've never heard of this, but that's interesting. Okay, so what man is bound uh, to give to God? So we give him four different things. So, and then he's going off of, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. So you're going to hold the heart, soul, mind, and strength as those four things. This is actually a really good meditation. So the heart stands for intention. So we need to have a good intention. Uh, this is very, very important. Not only uh, do we need a good intention, we also need a good will. Let's talk about the soul. Uh, but sometimes a good will and good intention are present, but there's some sin in the intellect. So those who trust in their own wisdom and refuse to accept the faith, and then this is not enough, but one must give God one's whole power and strength. So there's the four things. Okay, now love of neighbor. Love of neighbor. This is this is a very long chapter, actually. I thought it was interesting. Um so what is very important just at the uh forefront, there's talks about the uh the five uh different ways in which we actually love so the first uh and i and i think this is a very important consideration is that we must actually love our neighbors for his sake and not our own sake 
So we love our neighbors for his sake and not our own sake. Because uh, he goes into the three different types of um, love. Uh, where, where is that actually? It goes into the three different types of love. Oh, okay. No, no, no. I, I messed up. So there's the four motives before that. So the first motive is out, out of divine love. Um, the second motive is of divine precept. Third is because he shares the same nature. And no, I will not draw the conclusion of what that means for other issues. But uh, every animal loves its like. Just remember that. And the fourth motives is the advantages it brings. So uh, when it comes to uh, what I thought was first, but it wasn't first. Ah, I did have it in my notes. I was just uh, really dumb. So the first consideration uh, we must recognize is that we have to love our neighbors for his sake and not for our own sake. So there's three ways in which we can love something. It's very interesting. The first way is utilitarian. So uh, we love something because it gives some sort of advantage to us. I'm sure uh, we've we've all had those type of friendships with people where it's just kind of like we're of advantage to them. They're of advantage to us. So we kind of play nice sort of thing. So we don't love our neighbor out of the advantage they can give to us. And the second, this is, this is even worse. The, uh, the second type of love is love out of pleasure. So this would be like uh, you have a drinking, a drinking buddy type friendship um, <laughs> is, is uh, th that sort of enjoyment uh, that you share with one another. But it's, it's not really like any any sort of deep friendship. If you stop drinking, uh, you you wouldn't uh, be friends with this person anymore. Uh, it's just completely based on uh, pleasure. And the third type of love is for the sake of virtue. And this is the only true love. For then uh, we do not love our neighbor in view of our own good, but for his own good. So we love our neighbor uh, in terms of virtue. We can actually elevate this friendship as well and talk about not only loving our neighbor for the sake of natural virtue. We can speak of loving our neighbor for the sake of supernatural virtue. We love him. Uh, we love him in light of his final end of the beatific vision. So we have that elevated love uh, as Christians in view of a higher end. Okay, so the um, second consideration is we must love him in proper order. So we must not love him above God. Third, we must love in practice, uh, not merely uh, in word. This is something that um, James goes over actually in, in a lot of detail. The fourth is we must love in both difficult and easy times. So how, how do we do this? Um, he, he says that there's two things that help us do this. The first is patience. The second is humility. So that's, that's times of adversity. Uh, loving people, it requires patience and humility. And uh, humility causes patience as well. So the fifth point is that we must love him with holiness in a holy manner. So we can't will them to sin at all, which just flows from the true friendship. So um, there's this interesting uh, issue that actually gets brought up. And I, and I think I'm going to read, let me see how far there. I think I'm going to read the rest, like word for word, the rest of this section. I think this is super important. Actually, uh, just this section, I'm going to read the rest of it. So because we have this 
comment in the commandment, love your neighbors as yourself. And then uh, he's going to go over, well, in scripture, it sometimes talks actually about hating people. So how, how do we do this? So um, it says, love your neighbor as yourself. This precept the Jews and Pharisees badly understood, believing that God commanded them to love their friends and hate the, their enemies. Therefore, by neighbors, they understood only friends. Christ meant to repudiate this understanding when he said, love your enemies. Note that whoever hates his brother is not in a state of salvation. So it says that we not only love our friends, we also love our enemies. Everybody knows this. But on the other hand, we have some difficult texts. So it says we must be aware, however, of texts to the contrary. For the saints hated some people. I hated them with perfect hatred, Psalm 138. For Christ says, if anyone does not hate his father, etc. Again, you hate all the workers of iniquity. We should re realize that in all we do, what Christ did should be our example. For God both loves and hates. In any man, two things should be considered, nature and defect. What is nature in man should be loved. What is defect or sin should be hated. So if anyone wished a person to be in hell, he would be hating his nature. But if he wished him to be good, he would be hating the sin, which should always be hated. You will destroy all who speak a lie, and you hate nothing which you hate, which you have made. See then what God loves and hates. He loves nature and hates defect. This is actually, I think, very important. Is we hate people. <laughs> okay, this is this is a, this is a very interesting statement, but I think this summarizes it well. We hate people by wishing them good. <laughs> That's 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 how we said to hate people. We hate them by wishing them good. Yes, that's that's that sounds counterintuitive, but you have to ask yourself, what are you hating? We're we're hating we're hating the defect which is present in some people by their sins. So, uh, for example, the whole hot topic about like, oh, how do how do we hate like I mean, how do we hate how do we love um, homosexuals, for example? Well, we love them by wishing them to be good. We love them by wishing them to be good. That's how we love somebody else. We wish them to be good. So, um, and according to St. Thomas, the saints are said to hate people because they wish them good. And uh, unfortunately, we're also said to, uh, to hate people by wishing them good. But keep up the fight. So, um, we should realize, however, and this is really interesting as well. We should realize, however... That sometimes a person can do evil without sinning. That is, when he does evil so that he may desire good. Because God also does this. Notice evil. He's not talking about evil in the sense of like moral evil. He's talking about like physical evils. So, uh, for example, um, let's say you have somebody who broke his leg. And you need to set the leg and it's very painful. And you got to like jam around the bones and stuff. And it's really painful. That would be evil in this sense um when he does evil so that he may desire good because god also does this for instance when a man is sick and is converted to good whereas while he was well while he was well he was evil in the same way someone could be converted good when he meets adversity after being evil while living in prosperity according to the text terror alone shall convey the message uh, another case is to desire the evil of a tyrant destroying the church inasmuch as you desire the good of the church through the destruction of the tyrant. And all must want this, not just by willing it, but also by doing it. 
for it is not a sin justly to hang the evil, for they are ministers of God who do this, according to the apostle. And these people are acting in love, because punishment is given at times to castigate evil, and at times for the sake of a greater and divine good. For the good of a city is better good than the life of one man. So it's really it's really interesting is I, I think actually uh, to have a have a deeper consideration of what St. Thomas is getting at. Um, reading Plato is helpful in Plato's uh, works on justice. He just seems like he's like, um, well, oh, what's that? What's that one dialogue? I think it's Cito is the dialogue where he's um, contemplating uh, leaving. And I think I think that like gets gets the sense really well. Is it Cito? It's Credo. <laughs> Credo. I thought it was Cito. No, it's Credo. I haven't read that probably like a year ago. I read it. Yeah, I haven't read that in a while. Um, but yeah, what what's the the idea is basically that we have these um, in the the purpose of punishment. The purpose of punishment is to do evil. That is, remember, a physical evil. Not necessarily a moral evil. You can't do a moral evil that could make come about. But have a physical evil come about that somebody may turn and be good. So, uh, for example, uh, somebody is a notorious fornicator and they're brought before everybody and publicly flogged. Somebody's publicly flogged. You're doing an evil that is a physical evil, not a moral evil. You're doing a physical evil to them that they may turn. Both one, that they may turn uh, and then do good. So you're providing some sort of um, deterrent from their evil ways. So you're you're loving them in that way. But also so that everybody else in the city knows that's what happens to fornicators. Um, and then they themselves are, uh, are scared to the good. So that's why this is the origin of, um, of punishment, really. Whether it be jail or flogging or death or whatever it may be okay so um this is this is important he actually makes the same clarification i made here so but note that it is not enough not to wish evil but one must also wish good that it can, that is the correction of the sinner in eternal life for someone can wish the good of another in two ways one way in general insofar as the person is a creature of god and capable of partaking of eternal life Otherwise, special, insofar as that person is a friend or companion, no one is excluded from general love. For everyone should pray for everyone and help everyone in extreme need. But you are not held to be familiar with everyone unless he asks pardon, because uh, then he would be your friend. If you refused him, you would be hating a friend. So it's super important here, um, and this is this may be a little bit controversial, but St. Thomas often is. What he's saying here. Is that you're not required, you're required to love everyone, though the sort of way in general you're required to love everyone. You're not required to be a friend with everyone. Uh, you're not, not required to have this uh, sort of intimate familiarity uh, with everyone. So if you have, um, for example, people who are uh, transgressing in, in a type of way that would be, uh, you think, damaging uh, to yourself or to people around you or whatever, or, or even if, if you, don't, you don't want to. Uh, you're, you're not bound to have this uh, over familiarity with that person unless, of course, he says, unless they ask pardon uh, of you, then you are um, required to mend that friendship. So 
and then lastly uh says the he gives us some reasons uh why we should uh bring him back even if uh, he doesn't ask pardon this is a matter of counsel rather than a matter of command so the first is to preserve your own dignity or he says status here but it's really dignity second is the winning of a victory the third is the gaining of an advantage and the fourth is the avoidance of sin so uh that's all i have uh hope you guys enjoyed it uh remember if you really enjoyed it to subscribe share and uh, if you really really enjoyed it become a patron at patreon.com slash new aquinas is it new aquinas academy yes it is new aquinas academy one word patreon.com slash new aquinas academy Thank you all, and as always, God bless.